Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Sean Ross. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I um, had some flashbacks to the Challenger disaster, which I think shaped every kid of our generation because of the issue you asked me to read. So, you know, mm. you, you could have provided me a little bit of a warning there, buddy. But uh, no, I did you have that? Uh, so this is a weird way to open the episode. But did you have that memory? Were you in like I, I literally remember my teacher rolling in the TV cart, yeah. plugging it in. We all watched it. And then I, mean, I think that's I think for people of our age, that is a generational memory. Yes, that's that's one where. um at that point, I was going to a, uh, you know, basically like a parochial school. And the uh-huh. guy that ran the school was an ex-military guy. So he was super strict. Uh, you got out of line and you were getting uh, paddled with this giant wooden paddle. Like, Yikes. Yeah, he'd smack the crap out of you with it. So, you know, when that happened, when we saw it on television and that happened, I, I could literally see this, you know, very stern ex-military guys like, you know, face just, it just, everything just dropped and fell right out of him Yeah, you know, because it was such a bad thing. And he was like, I think everybody should go home for the day. And we all went home. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I remember my teachers didn't know what to do. They, they like turned the TV off and then like a bunch of them huddled together outside. And then they just sent us to like an, a 90 minute recess and then wow. came back and like talked to us about it a little bit. And, you know, and I remember people, kids crying and stuff and, um, but then I don't remember a ton of follow up after it. So it wasn't quite as, you know, like I like I was a teacher. I was in the classroom on September 11th. And I remember that vividly from the other side of the, you know, from being a teacher during that. Um, mm. You know, that was a, a, a yeah. interesting, you know, very different experience. But I, I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to get us off on such a weird foot. We uh, were talking about the space shuttle in 1985. So it kind of it, it brought back some. Some interesting, you know, we, it's a, one of those Twitter things, right? Where it's like, what's the first historical moment you remember? And that—that's not it for me. It's—it's it's Hinkley shooting Reagan, um, yeah. Which, which, you know, again, not exactly super positive, but it's Hinkley shooting Reagan. And then the the first historical moment I witnessed myself was really that Challenger moment. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a tough one. You know, I like I said, I I never thought in a million years that guy would say to go home. I thought he'd just yeah. shut the TV off and be like. You know, well, that was a sad thing, blah, blah, blah. Let's keep going with school. But uh, even he was like dumbfounded and did not know what to do. And so I was yeah. like, wow, yeah, that's how big of a moment that was. Yeah, it's interesting. I, rem- I remember being on the other side of that moment on September 11th. We all gathered out in the hallway in the parking lot. We had the kids stay for a second. And then we're like, we have to send them home. Like, we can't, you know, like this can't, yeah. you know. And, and, and there was debate. There was like, are the parents going to, we're like, I, I don't even know. But a lot of us were like, we need to get our kids. Like we, you know, so yeah. yeah, it's interesting when, you know, when, when history happens, you know, quite often it happens, you know, it, bur- it kind of burns into your mind when you're that age. And, um, I wish my first memory of history was firebrand and a bunch of heroes from time <laughs> to, helping, helping defend Cape Canaveral. But unfortunately life is way cooler on earth too, or I guess yes. actually earth one in this case. Yeah, I would much rather see Super Chief leaping through the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to him, but yeah, he's yes. my favorite of this one. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, we're still amidst the, the crisis here. We're going to be oh, looking yes. at a couple of issues here. It's still in its it's it's red-skied glory. Uh, we both were talking for just a second before we hit the record button. And, you know, we can both, uh, you know, you can read these issues, especially the next one. And you, you can tell Roy is over it. Uh, yes. He, he yes. he's, you know, wants to move on and is kind of I could imagine 
I don't know if pouty is quite the word. I'm trying to think of a better adjective to use it. Maybe a bit frustrated that, I, you know, something he's been working on is kind of going down the toilet. Yeah, the thing I kept thinking about in, in kind of prepping for this episode was it's a you know sports term, but I, I feel like Roy's just playing out the string at this point. You know, yeah, he's a he's a, a baseball team with a losing record. They know they're not going to the playoffs, but they still have you know thirty games left, and mm-hmm. and he's just kind of playing out the string. It doesn't mean there isn't quality stuff in here, and it doesn't mean it's, it won't be fun to talk about. But definitely, what you and Martin and I hit on in issue fifty of like there's a before this moment and after, we're really racing into the after. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. You know, I don't obviously I've never been in uh, Roy's shoes and never had any kind of a job where there's creativity involved. So I can't speak on it, but I can just try to imagine that I I would have been very upset by this as well. And probably Roy dealt with it a lot better than I would have. So that's all I'll say about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, and and he he gets inventive. I mean, he has two of his other Mm -hmm. series crossover in this issue in Arax, Son of Thunder and Infinity Inc. And so. You know, it's it's definitely Roy like, ah, I'm just going to throw everything together and see what happens. And 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 look, he'll get re-energized. You know, Young All-Stars definitely has some energy behind it. And Infinity Inc. is one of my favorite series. And it definitely, you know, it hits a bit of a bump with Crisis. And then he just keeps sailing forward. So, you know, Roy still has a lot to say. Yeah. And now that you mentioned Iraq there, uh, I don't know if I have any of the issues with him in them. But I was just talking about that character recently with uh, a mutual, uh, Professor Allen. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, he said it was very good. I'm gonna have to check that out. So, so I've never read it. I I definitely missed that whole. You know, I remember the ads for it when I first mm-hmm. started collecting. But it's definitely, you know, I was a superhero kid, and it was a book that ended relatively early in my collecting. So I I I, I wonder if I ever even saw an issue on the spinner racks. Yeah. But it's funny because I had a chance to travel to Portland, Oregon for mm-hmm. a conference for work a few years ago. And Rick Heineken from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack and I ended up meeting up. And also Nicholas Prom uh, from Comics Reflection. We mm-hmm. all, the three of us got together and we went to this superhero themed restaurant in Portland. Oh, the cool. Nerd Out, which was the cool, it's unfortunately closed because of COVID, but it was called the Nerd Out. It was the coolest restaurant ever, like. They had like a Superman red and blue drink. They had like all their food was named after superhero stuff. But one of the things I loved about it was the guy just had long boxes of like comics in the back and you could go back and you could take like two for free if you ate there. And so I went back to the back and I was like, you know, flipping through and I'm not going to pass up free comics. Right. And I grabbed (laughs) two issues of Arax Son of Thunder because I went, oh, this is a series I always wanted to read because it's Roy Thomas. So those are the only issues I've ever read. And I have this very special connection to them because it was a chance to meet, you know, two other podcasters. And we had a great evening and Rick and Nicholas were amazing. And and it was just a really fun time. So it's a goofy memory, but I had this really great memory attached to these two very random issues of a series I've never read anything (laughs) else from. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good memory, though. But yeah, I'll have to look. I'm not sure I have any of those issues. I, I may and I just haven't looked at them you know, just bought them and haven't looked at them yet. And I just can't remember where the heck they are, but I just looked on the app and it is not on the app. So I was like, boom, that doesn't surprise. Yeah. There, there's no way those have ever been collected. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, from the sounds of it, it does sound like a fun series. I'd like to uh-huh. at least give it a try. So yeah, he, uh, yeah, like you said, he's, he's in this one. There are some very, uh, wonky characters here in this yep. <laughs> first issue, which is all-star squadron 55. And it's a uh, cover date, March, 1986. And you know, it's uh like we said, you know, it's got a crisis banner on it and, 
you know, but we have some uh, good creators behind this one, you know, Roy and Dan Thomas writing, and then uh, Arvel Jones and Vince Coletta uh, with the artwork, David Cody White's letters, and Carl Gafford colors. And, you know, it starts out pretty crazy here. And there is some, um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. I don't know if I should say insensitive, but there's definitely some dialogue in this book that doesn't uh, quite fit the uh, the box of 2022. I will say that. So that was a little, uh, you know, you're reading warning. it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're reading it, and you're kind of just like, well, boy. <laughs> you're like, well, yeah, yeah, again, I, l- look at it with 85 eyes. It's It was more than acceptable back then. Yeah. So, you know, don't need to poo-poo on Roy here. He was just, you know, it's, it's I'm not trying, I don't try to look at anything with 2020, 2022 vision. I try well, we to can't, yeah, we can't be keep it in. And, yeah, and for keep 85, in. this is a progressive issue, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he does some really good stuff in here. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and it's fun too, but what'd you think about the cover here? This is uh, Arvel Jones and Tony DiZuniga. I like this one. What do you think? I like it. I, I especially always like anytime heroes are busting through some sort of, you know, like, like, you know, giant size X-Men number one, they're busting through like, mm-hmm. a cover or a paper or anything like that. And in this case, you know, Firebrand's front, front and center, and they're busting through a, a sign that says July 1985. And you're like, whoa, you know, All-Star Squadron in modern times. But then you look around and you're like, oh, this is not the All-Star Squadron <laughs> at no. all. And and the only characters I instantly recognized from the cover was Miss Liberty, because she had been in Liberty Bell's dream from earlier in the series. I mm-hmm. knew Valda from that Air Accent of Thunder only because of the, the two issues I grabbed from that bar. She was in them. But when I bought <laughs> the issue, I had no idea who she was. And then Super Chief, I only recognize now because he appeared in 52. And, and and so, you know, there's a it's it's just really funny because you're like, who are all these people? But it is an exciting cover. And again, Firebrand is Roy's favorite character, clearly, from this series. It's his pet character. It's, you know, the one, the original creation from this series. And so I love anytime she gets a spotlight because she's a favorite of mine as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only, yeah, the only people I recognized was, like you said, of course, Firebrand, Miss Liberty. And then I did sort of recognize this one character, Silent Knight, but I know uh-huh. nothing about him. But somehow I had seen that character somewhere and heard that name. But everybody else on here was an anomaly to me. Yeah, definitely not a who's who. I mean, actually, definitely from who's who, because this <laughs> is, a, you know, this is in part probably a, a copyright <laughs> you know, grab, <laughs> um, but, but you're not a who's who of, of DC mainstays. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It looks like they're busting through a calendar page. Cause you it see really Monday does. Back yeah. there. That's awesome. I like that. And then if you, you know, look real careful there in the background to the right, there's the space shuttle back mm-hmm. there that we were referencing earlier as well, because I'm pretty sure the previous, uh, issue 54 ended with, uh, you know, like a blurb saying, uh, you know, there's some kind of a crisis at Cape Canaveral or something like that was, was the last thing on it. Yeah, Harbinger charges Firebrand to to take a group from the past to go defend Cape Canaveral, and and you know, and we're, that that takes us right to the front page. So you want me to to do a little overview of the issue? Yeah, uh, indulge us, uh, please, uh, Mister Ross. <laughs> All right, so just thirty thousand foot overview because we're going to dive in. Firebrand has <laughs> been charged by Harbinger to defend Cape Canaveral and a quote unquote space shuttle. She has no idea what that is. She's given a group of heroes from the past, including many of the folks we already mentioned. They arrive on the scene and they see the American soldiers being attacked by Native Americans. They insensitively assume that the Native Americans are in the wrong and start fighting them, though Firebrand has charged them, do not kill. We're not here to kill anybody, which is good. Uh, Through the fight, they come to realize, thankfully, relatively quickly, that in fact, the Native Americans have been sent to stop the same evil they have been sent to stop. 
And it is, in fact, the seemingly American soldiers who are actually working for our favorite ape, the uh, Ultra Humanite. He is deciding to steal the space shuttle for shenanigans to set up some <laughs> sort of evil. That doesn't they don't get real specific. Uh, set up some sort of evil plot in the sky. However, another hero from the past, Cyclotron, comes forward, and it turns out that the the scientist that the Ultra Humanite needs to help launch the shuttle is Dr. Terry Rothstein, who is Cyclotron's daughter. We met them both her when she was a baby in earlier issues of All Star Squadron. She is also the mother of Nuclon from Infinity Inc., so there's a nice connection there. Mm-hmm. A fight ensues. Cyclotron is able to save his daughter. However, the Ultra Humanite gets away in the shuttle, but Dr. Rothstein saved the day with some crafty programming. And that's uh, that's it. That's the big adventure. So let's cut back to the opening where Ooh. Firebrand is yelling at her folks, hey, hold your ground. The cavalry has arrived, and we get these fights between these heroes of yore and these Native American tribes. What were your thoughts on this fight? Well, I love this opening splash page, and there's two things I'll call out specifically. One, it is super violent. Uh, you have yeah. a Native American shooting an arrow right into a, a, what we think is a soldier, but we find out later is that they're not. They're they're mercenaries, but shoot someone an arrow. It looks like it goes right into his eye. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, this guy's and, not this guy's not going to be seeing much anymore. <laughs> no, and then another uh, uh, one of these uh, mercenaries is uh, machine gunning down a Native American in the uh-huh. background as well. And then I do love the uh, uh, quote, you know, because Roy almost always I think there might have been an issue or two where he didn't have a quote on the front page, but he's got one here, and it's a hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is brave five minutes longer. Ralph Waldo That's Emerson. A great quote. Yeah, love that, love that. Love Emerson, too, by the way. But, oh, yeah, those are the things that just grabbed me right off the bat. I love the quote, and then, wow, I could not believe, like, how violent this was. Like, I, I get it. It was, you know, 85, 86, but still, that was like, well, this is a kid's comic. He shot an arrow in the guy's eye. Well, and, and also, the way the the soldiers are drawn, it looks like Stalker and, and Hawk from G.I. Oh, Joe. Oh, it does. Yeah, it totally Stalker does. Stalker, for sure. Stalker, for sure. And so yeah. I was like, I was like, you can't. Kill GI. What are you doing? You can't like it's it's you know they they jump out and they have parachutes. What are you doing? And yeah, you're right. It's very violent. And then oddly, a lot of the the characters make a point to say, "Oh, we've been told not to kill." And it's like, well, you sure about that? Because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of death <laughs> happening. You know, you guys may not be killing, but it doesn't mean no one. You know, everybody else is on that train. <laughs> yeah, really. But it's it's really good. It's it's a overall great action issue. It's a lot of fun. But I like how right away. You know, it seems like uh, Firebrand and her uh, uh, compatriots here are going to mop the floor with the Native Americans. But uh, Brandy's kind of leading the charge, but gets tackled by uh, our good buddy Super Chief here, who mm-hmm. is a a big muscular guy. Like not like, you know, crazy muscular, but he's ripped. He's been hitting the gym. Yeah. And he looks almost like a Native American shaman would have been drawn. But then over his head, he has like, it's like a buffalo mask over his head. And I love that. He looks crazy. So I knew who he was on this read. When I when I bought this originally, I had no idea who he was. On this read, I did because he appears in, I don't, did you read 52, the, the yearly weekly series that came after? I did not, no. Oh, okay. It's, it's delightful. So it's written by, um, gosh, it's Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, and mm. I'm forgetting, oh, uh, Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, I'm forgetting who the fourth one is. I'm so, oh, Greg Rucka. And they're the architects of the DC universe at that point. And they're filling in the year gap between Infinite Crisis and everything after Infinite Crisis, or uh, 
yeah, after Infinite Crisis, starts one year later, and they're filling in that year gap. And so at gotcha. one point, there's a new Justice League, but it's it's like out of somebody's apartment, and it's like Bullet <laughs> Woman, Firehawk, Super Chief, Ambush Bug. It's it's <laughs> definitely a bunch of also rands. And I was excited to see Super Chief again because I was like, oh, that's where Morrison pulled him from. I'm like, that was a deep cut. You know, and they have a great fight because Brandy's like pretty cocky. She's like, well, nobody here has superpowers but me. Clearly, this isn't going to be much of a challenge. And then Super Chief's like, oh, I'm going to take you out. And they have a really, really interesting fight. Yeah, they do. I mean, I didn't, like I said, I knew nothing about this guy. So I had to read up on him that he has like a, uh, I don't know if you call it a, a gem or a talisman or something like hanging mm-hmm. from his neck, like on a necklace. And that gives him like superpowers, basically. And you know, he's uh, he jumps and he just grabs her right out of the air. And I love his dialogue. I have you red haired fire witch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they're fighting and, and you know, she's having trouble. He's, you know, trying to destroy the space shuttle. And then finally she figures out, OK, well, that thing around your neck's glowing and it seems to glow brighter when you use your powers. So she, you know, burns his necklace and he's in midair when that happens mm-hmm. and he goes to fall to the ground and she is a hero, so she goes to try to catch him, but he's too heavy. They hit the ground brutally, and then one of the Native American warriors is like, oh, okay, she's I'm going to kill her. Like, you know, I'll take her mm-hmm. out. And Super Chief's like, no, she saved my life. She's noble. I, I think maybe the, these people we're fighting don't actually know the whole story. So I, I like the fact that – I mean I didn't love the misconception, the immediate assumption that the Native Americans were the bad guys. But I do like the fact that Roy's like, I'm playing on your preconceptions, reader, and mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, you were wrong actually. That the the good guys here are the you know the Native Americans all along. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. What do you think of that little turnaround? Yeah, that was great. I mean, and I understand Brandy that you know she was sent there with these uh, other heroes, not having a lot of information out of the exactly, get go. Yeah. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't great. And then the era she's coming from. You know, back in 1942, everybody was gung ho about, you know, whatever the government was doing. So they yeah. were like, oh, they're noble. What do you mean? It must be the Indians. So it's like, no, <laughs> you need to stop and think you're not 1942 anymore, uh, uh, Brandy. So yeah, once they give, figure things out. Yeah, I love it. Given her context. I, yeah, I don't blame her. Plus, this is actually not on on Firebrand. It's on Harbinger. Like, yeah, hey, way, way to give enough intel, Harbinger. Like, you know, you, you <laughs> clearly you had this other group there, too. So, you know, why don't you should tell the one group, hey, you're meeting up with another group and you guys are going to be stopping the ultra humanite. But instead, she gives no information, no intel. And we just get this this fight. So there are other little vignettes of fighting with the Silent Knight and the Trigger Twins. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about a couple of those guys. So I know the Trigger Twins from Graham Nolan and Chuck Dixon and in particular Chuck Dixon's run on Batman and Detective, his long run. Uh, Jim Aparo as well, because the Trigger Twins are actually brought to Earth One as bank robbers. They're villains. Huh. Yeah, they're they're bad guys, and they they have this old West motif, which is kind of a you know a, a affectation of theirs. And they're mm-hmm. but they're great you know shots, and they're they outdraw anybody else, and they're you know kind of they're they're like first five minutes of an episode bad guy, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They're like quickly wiped out just to show what the hero's powers are before you get to the real villain. Um, mm-hmm. But they do have some really fun appearances. So like I actually talked about Robin annual number five on uh, everybody loves the Drake, which is a, a great podcast. And mm-hmm. it's, it was one of those pulp hero 
annuals. I don't remember if you remember when DC did those where they had a pulp theme for. Oh, uh, I think I remember that. Yeah, they had a pulp theme for all of their issues. And it was um, it was a lot of fun. And the Robin issue in particular, it was a uh, Robin annual six. I'm sorry. And it was from 1997. And it's written by Chuck Dixon, drawn by Eduardo Barreto. And it's Robin and the Huntress versus the Trigger Twins. And they actually meet a long lost, maybe, sister of theirs. And it's a really fun issue. If you're ever looking for a perfect Tim Drake story, I can't recommend that comic enough. But they're bad guys in my mind and always have been. So it was surprising to see them show up as quote unquote heroes here. Well, yeah, that is interesting because, again, I knew nothing about them. I never even heard of them. And then I think it's page four where right below where, you know, we get a little bit on the two of them, we see uh, Silent Night. And like I said to you earlier, too, when we were speaking off mic, I think I, I have heard of that character, but I know nothing about him at all. And then to the, to his left, is that a golden gladiator there? Yes, he calls I think Marcus. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and it looks like Silent Night's killing a guy there, by the way. Yeah, so yeah. the, the no-killing no killing thing doesn't seem to be permeating to the whole group. Uh, I have to say, Silent Night, couple of cool connections. So his name is Brian Kent, and mm-hmm. later writers have said that he is a um, ancestor of Jonathan Kent, of Superman's dad. Oh, that's interesting. So there's a, yeah, there's a Superman connection there, which is really cool. And then in mm-hmm. later continuity, you know, the... Hawkman, Carter Hall, Cater Hall, like basically the whole story there is that that he reincarnates mm-hmm. across space and time. He, he this is one of his incarnations. So so Hawkman, oh, wow. Cater Hall was the Silent Knight. Carter Hall was and was also an ancestor of Superman. So I always think I always think it's cool when he shows up because I'm like, oh, cool. This is like a Superman Hawkman thing. Yeah, cool. And then in the other panel, we get the uh, Viking Prince, which I yep. do know him. I think I have. I think that's a pretty old character, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, famously, the art, I, mean, I don't remember who the artist is at the moment, but, you know, it kind of like a Milton Caniff level respect of, of newspaper artistry. I mean, this is, yeah, Viking Prince goes back decades. Yeah, I think I remember the first time I saw him, it was reprinted in the back of like a Brave and the Bold or something like that. Yes, and it was like yes. a classic Joe Kubert story. It was like, wow, it blew me away. Yeah, the art's amazing. And then we get Arax, Son of Thunder, and Valda. Mm confronting yeah. each other and again the only reason i know them now is from those issues but roy wrote the entire Arax son of thunder series i think it lasted like i don't know maybe 40 something issues wow. and i know she was a love interest of his and you know apparently roy is wrapping up a story element here because when Arax sees her he's like hey i thought we parted on the shores of asia and we each went our opposite ways and she's like we did but i still love you and he's like i still love you and it's like okay okay roy <laughs> knows this is all coming to an end so he's gonna wrap a couple things up first would yeah i don't blame him yeah i do like how she's actually about to get stabbed in the back and we don't see him we just see an arm with like a an, an axe and it almost looks like he chops the guy's head off because he swings yeah. the axe blade first at the back of this guy's yes. head i'm thinking he's dead <laughs> yeah the no mm. death thing is is goes out the, the window quick so then everybody teams up and they're there they take they mop up the ultra humanite soldiers quickly and, and we cut to ultra and his white uh, ape incarnation, which is my mm-hmm. favorite version of him. I mean, that for me, this oh, yeah. is the archetypal one. And he's got these NASA scientists prisoner until they launch the space shuttle for him. And the main scientist is Dr. Terry Rothstein. So did you, I mean, she's a different last name here. She has a married last name, but when, you know, when you pieced it together, were you surprised that this is the baby from the cyclotron issues? 
it took a minute, but I, it eventually like, you know, like a finger snapped, like one of my synapses in my brain fired off. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I think that's that baby that mm-hmm. they uh, saved in the issue where cyclotron uh, died or appeared to die when he whisked away. Who was that? It was the ultra human. I, it, but he was in the form of that movie oh, star. Doris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Female movie star. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a nice touch. I, I like that Roy brought cyclotron back. Cause he, he had a pretty yeah. ignoble death. You know, in that in yeah. those all star issues, he he reminds me even the way he looks, he reminds me of the swordsman from Marvel from the Avengers mm-hmm. in that he's a bad guy who tries to be a good guy for a little bit, is relatively ineffectual at both ways, but dies heroically, you know, if not briefly into his heroic career. So, you know, Cyclotron comes and he's got these atomic powers, which is actually what. His grandson, Nuclon, it's where his powers come from. He inherits a version of them, though they mm-hmm. play out differently. And Nuclon's the, for those of you who don't know, he's the most distinct member of Infinity Inc. in that he's a seven foot tall white guy with a red mohawk. <laughs> so <laughs> you've seen him before, even if you don't believe you have. And he briefly was a member of the Justice League at the very end of the volume that had the Bwahaha League. The very end of it, right before oh. Morrison and Porter come in and relaunch everything, Nuclon and Obsidian from Infinity Inc. are members of the JLA. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I like I said, I saw him when I saw him in this uh, book. I assumed he was going to be a bad guy because I I sort of thought to myself, yeah, he did try to, you know, take out Ultra Humanite at the end there. But, you know, I thought, oh, I'm sure he's going to be plucked from when he was still evil and here helping the Ultra Humanite, but he is not, so... You know, the two of them have a nice little fight there. It doesn't last long or anything, but I like that he was all ready and willing to oppose the ultra humanite there. I did enjoy him trying to be more heroic. Yeah, and it's nice because he does get to save his daughter. I mean, Firebrand and and Super Mm -hmm. Chief have to kind of finish the job, but he does get to save his daughter, who's an adult at this point. And then Ultra just gets away in the space shuttle. And I'm like, I'm reading this and I'm going, wait. No, like all of this, and he just gets away in a space shuttle as if he's driving down the lane. Like, I, I that can't be right. And then <laughs> it's such a button on the issue. Dr. Rothstein, you know, Cyclotron's daughter is like, Oh, don't worry, I programmed this, the space shuttle to fly into the sun. And it's like, Oh, okay. It's almost <laughs> like you can hear the like, dun, 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 dun. like you can almost hear the button on the sitcom. <laughs> and everybody just is like, Oh, and Eric and Volta start making out. and. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, I wonder what's next for us. And that's just that's it. So what what are your thoughts on the way it wraps up? I thought it was funny, but I thought to myself, again, I post like, you know, this era is, is a huge dark spot for me. So I just thought, when or where does the ultra humanite pop up again? And is there any kind of explanation as to how he got out of this? Yeah, it's, I'm not sure. But it's crazy. And, and I have to ask you a question because the last part of the issue is again a check in with the Justice Society, who's been Shanghai'd into outer space, and this time it's Sandman who goes <laughs> to Uranus, and it's a planet of crystal creatures, and there's a good king and a bad king, just like all these stories. And Sandman goes to fight the bad king, and it turns out their weakness is sand, and he has a pocket full of it. And he saves the day. They send him home, and he realizes, hmm, I wonder if I'm the master of dreams, which was. I was like, all right, wait, what? And so so before we get to even a little bit of discussion about that, is it worth the loss of story in the main story for the Shanghai and outer space stories? Because this this main issue is so rushed that I feel like if Roy had given himself the other eight pages, 
this would have been a really, really, really fun issue and would have carried a lot more impact instead of feeling like a, I don't know, like a whirlwind. What do you think? Yeah, totally agree there. It definitely, like when I looked at the credits and I saw it said, you know, uh, Arvell Jones and Vince Coletta, but it only said like pages one through 16. I thought only 16 pages. And then I could look up in the corner of the cover and you see it's like bonus Sandman. And I thought, oh, no, they're still doing that. And again, I, I know Roy's love of the Golden Age and those kind of stories and stuff like that. But, yeah, I much would have preferred that there were eight more pages of this story and there would have been more going on, which, you know, I'm sure he would have, you know, found plenty to insert to make it eight pages longer. Yeah. And, the, and these JSA stories just aren't worth it. I mean, there's they're not. They're so simple. They're very Golden age And, you know, and I, I was excited, though, that that Wesley Dodds says like, oh, I have this weird connection to dreams. I didn't realize that Wesley Dodds was connected to the dream realm this early. I thought it happened later in like Neil Gaiman. Good Sandman. Point. But I guess the Sandman, the Kirby Sandman series had already come out at this point, right? Yeah, I think that was 72, maybe. Yeah, the short lived. It's only like eight issues. Yeah. So I, I do wonder that they must have connected to, to Wesley Dodds at some point there. But, you know, and he's a favorite of mine because of Sandman Mystery Theater, which will come out from Vertigo, mm -hmm. you know, in about 10 years. And it is the darkest series in the history of comicdom, but is also great. Makes you fall in love with Wesley and, and Diane Belmont, but is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it is a it is a gruesome series at times. But uh, did you ever read that one? I have not. No. Mm -mm. Yeah, I, I have a hard time recommending it. The The writing is brilliant. It's Matt Wagner. The art is brilliant. It's Guy Davis, who drew V for Vendetta. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you really do fall in love with with Wesley and Diane. And Diane Belmont might be one of the great female leads of all time. She's sort of the lowest lane of her age. OK, but it deals with. Kind of real crime, true crime, and it's dark. It It does not shy away from super, super dark stuff. And I, I did a reread of it about six years ago, five years ago, because I had been missing a few issues and I was able to find them in a bin dive. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go back and reread this. And I went like, oh, this was great. This is great art. I don't know if I'll ever come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, no offense to uh, Tim Burgard. That was the artist for the backup. But other than the, the character Sandman himself, just not a big fan of the artwork in that one either. The no, backup. It's, it's just yeah, it's it's very, very rough. But oh, and then. I can't forget on the very last page of the uh, you know main story there we have the bottom panel on page sixteen where you know there's uh, all the heroes and Danette's uh, kind of looking at the red sky and I'm assuming that's her thoughts we're reading but uh, we have our, our Hawkman appearance there he's uh, in, sh <laughs> <laughs> in shadow in the back there serpent <laughs> he's got to be there somewhere it's it's the law you're right though the the artist on the the Sandman eight pager does draw Sandman himself very well but everything else is a little bit of like 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 diet Pepsi crystal war the crystal warrior you know it's it's not it's not great <laughs> yeah and I mean like I said I think he had done some pinups or something like that in a previous issue I remember that name I don't know that he ever did any story but I think he did some pinups or something like that in the back of an issue and they were okay but you know obviously we know doing a pinup and doing you know a comic book is not the same thing yeah sequential arts very very different so. That's that's issue 55, man. That's another big crisis issue. Firebrand and all these characters in the future, not really actually in any way impacting the story. It's uh, they literally could not have showed up and it would have ended the same because because Dr. Rosti programs the space shuttle to go into the sun. So really, <laughs> they, they didn't actually accomplish anything, but it was fun to read.
Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, and like you said, a little bit rushed, but a fun read for sure. All right, so we have issue number 56, and this is cover dated April 1986, uh, and it has, uh, again, uh, we have uh, Mike Clark and Tony DiZuniga on the cover, and then uh, inside we have, uh, I'd say almost the same creative team. We have uh, Roy Thomas, writer-editor, and then uh, Mike Clark and Vince Coletta are the inkers, and David Cody Weiss, letterer, and Carl Gafford is the colorist. And this one, uh, what do you think of the cover on this one, Sean? This is a pretty good cover, too. I mean, it's based on a story from uh, Leading Comics number 4 from 1942, and I like that cover quite a bit, too. I don't know if you've seen that one, but that one's pretty good, too. Yeah, it's a great cover. It's a very 50s sci-fi, you know, head-in-a-jar cover. It's it's really well-drawn and well-colored. It's it's deceptive for what's coming in the issue, which is okay, <laughs> but it's definitely a, a fun cover. And anytime I get to see Cowboy Vigilante and, and actually I'm watching Stargirl. I don't know if you're watching that series uh, okay. on the CW. My daughter and I are watching it and we had just started season two and season two is, is leading up to some seven soldiers of victory stuff. And so it's fun to see these characters. Yeah. It's pretty much the, the leading comics cover is pretty much the same uh, theory uh, so I'm sorry, the same layout, except it's got a yellow background and it's a, a Mort Meskin cover. So, yeah, mm-hmm. really, really super cool. I like that one, too. I might actually even like that one uh, even better than better, this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it's actually got a little. But I, I like the concept here. It's, it's a really neat concept. You know, like I said, you have the 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 head in the jar and the seven soldiers of victory are, uh, you know, shooting at it with arrows and vigilante with his gun and shining knights ready to do <laughs> a big chop with his his uh, enchanted blade on the top of it. And it looks like a, a bit of a horror movie to me. So that really it does to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks like it came from the earth, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's definitely, I, I like the cover a lot. Yeah. So, all right, let's get right into this one here. So uh, we see the shining knight and wicked victory uh, soaring through the skies. And we see also at a local bar, we take a peek in as well. And we see there are some patrons there and they get accosted by a robot. And one of them is kidnapped. Sir Justin sees this as well and follows the van being driven by the robot to a warehouse by the docks. But he gets sucker punched by the robot and knocked out. He awakens to see some hoods that are also waking up after they were apparently operated on. They now have superpowers like super hearing, <laughs> super smelling, super <laughs> tasting, and so on. <laughs> Before they know exactly what's going on, the robot returns, and this time his air quotes creator the sense master is with him to Uh, explain that they will now carry out daring crimes with these new powers and steal some gems. The shining knight (laughs) narrowly escapes death and calls the seven soldiers of victory to aid him in stopping the crooks. Okay. So (laughs) this one to me was, I don't know what to think of this one. It was, it almost looked like, and again, it was based off a golden age story. I think, possibly maybe by Gardner Fox. I'm not sure who yeah. wrote that one, but it, it it was very much a golden age story. And again, not that that's a bad thing, but you know, it's you, not a good thing here. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, I don't like, I don't want to, you know, we try to keep it really positive and there's some great stuff to talk about that. We will over overall, this is a rough issue for me. It just is. It, it has all the things that I don't like about golden age stories in that plot just happens for the sake of plot. There's, you know, these goofy things that we were like, that didn't need to happen at all. This is just a goofy gimmick. 
And then there's just really no characterization almost at all. So I, I definitely, you know, I, I struggle with the story and, and Roy's entering a phase now with all-star squadron because of crisis where he's just going to be retelling a bunch of stories, right? He's going to, he's going to be yeah. telling. And in some cases that works really well. Like when he does the single issue origin issues, the, sometimes those are a blast. Mm-hmm. This one was a miss for me with, with one huge exception. I, before we get talking about like specific parts of the story, Mike Clark is really, really good. Like the art in this, the facial expressions are so good, especially mm-hmm. when he's drawing the <laughs> the crooks who get the enhanced senses. Like the guy <laughs> who's like, I can feel the air. It's like tiny pebbles. And the other guy who's like, I can smell, you know, what you had for lunch. And it, the facial expressions are so good. It It's very 1940s-esque. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, in a very positive way of Derek Robertson, the guy who drew like oh, Transpolitan okay. and New Warriors, in that everybody's puffy, everybody looks like they're on prednisone, and yeah. they're all <laughs> puffy. But but it's I I love the art, man, and I actually did a little bit of a deeper dive because this is now the second time where I've said, holy you know holy crap, this Mike Clark guy is really really talented, and this is early in his career, mm-hmm. and I looked him up, and he he just never really did anything. He did a couple of issues of secret origins he did some pinups in who's who you know he did a, an issue of like firestorm and an issue of uh, infinity inc but that's it basically and that is a shame because this guy's really good yeah yeah oh yeah you're I, you're perfectly you know you're right on there like to me page five when you see these crooks going off and <laughs> the one he has super hearing and he says what's that sound it's like a horse's hoofs right in front of me and it's a beetle uh-huh. walking across the floor. <laughs> and I like his face when he says about, you know, what's that sound? And his hat's kind of like popping off of his head. Yeah. That is a great panel. And then <laughs> the bottom right-hand corner where the other guy has, uh, he says, whatever's going on with us, it's got me too. I can taste the air in here. Sort of dusty. And he has this yeah. like licking his lips. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, wow, how insightful. You know, it's just, it's just so, <laughs> yeah, the guy's hat popping off and his ears steaming when he hears the beetle. And, mm-hmm. and then even with, um, you know, Sir Justin when he's captured and his yeah. face is all sweaty and he's concentrating. And it's just a lot of really good acting in this. It, it almost reminds me the the scene where the guy's feeling the air. It mm-hmm. almost reminds me of Jerry Ordway. Like oh, there's yeah. A, there's a little bit of the way he draws faces where there's a depth to them that he mm-hmm. reminds me a little bit of Ordway. But either way, I just want to give a big shout out to Mike Clark because he doesn't go on to do much else. But, man, he shines here. The The, the story is not doing him any favors, and he is doing yeoman's work with the art. Yeah, like you said, it's just it's it's I don't want to say it's a slog to get through it, but it's very one note story wise. Yeah. But the art, I think, helps pick it up tremendously. And then I do love seeing. You know, like we've said, Roy, he he's going to go out doing what he wants to do here in these last few issues of All-Star Squadron. And one of those things is, you know, having, you know, the seven soldiers of victory. So I like seeing them as well, you know, because I love Sir Justin. I like Vigilante and I like uh, Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. So I, I was I was glad to see them and love the artwork. So that was, you know. I didn't get through the issue and think, oh, man, that was horrible to get through. But it it just the story itself. Yeah, it's not helping. That doesn't help this book for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, just to set the scene for the story, each of these criminals is given one enhanced sense. They're sent by this robot and this this guy in a glass, you know, bottle, basically, <laughs> to go steal <laughs> five different jewels. 
and you know, the situations are really contrived. Like the guy with the hearing, here's a girl playing the piano and, and falls in love with it basically. And she's like, here, hold this jewel for me while I play, which is like, one, <laughs> why the hell do you have this giant jewel? Mm-hmm. And two, you're just handing it to this guy. And then there's another guy behind him who swipes it from him and gets away. And it's like, she hands it to him as a test. And, and it, it actually is my favorite part of the episode that these two fall in love and he, yeah. he doesn't actually commit a crime. I thought that was cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. And I do like the fact that every one of these crooks gets away with it. Sometimes not, alone but mm-hmm. the, you know the seven soldiers of victory they they fail at every attempt to stop these you know robberies so i did think that was a fun part of it as well and then i do like you said artwork is great throughout i like how the robot is rendered too because crazy robots i like them as well and, it, and mike clark again does a great job with that i really like it when we see the robot but yeah so what did you think of you know the crooks when they finally get all of the gems uh, to this guy you know, this robot and this guy under the glass. What did you think of how that kind of made a bit of a swerve? Yeah, it was so unnecessary. It was yeah. so un- another golden age trope thing of of just basically going for the cool image over any sort of actual narrative sense making. So mm-hmm. the, the Seven Soldiers of Victory completely fail in every way, even though these are just bumbling criminals. They either <laughs> they somehow get away from them every time. And, and then I love the fact that Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy actually work with with the Pembertons. Sylvester Pemberton is the Star Spangled Kid. They're like, hmm, these two heroes remind me of our son and our driver. <laughs> and, but <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So yeah, they get to the robot. It turns out it wasn't the robot at all. It was this Doctor Brett guy, and and who with a giant robot arm. I don't. I it's I don't know. And anyway, if he forms all the jewels together, he gets the power to animate stone. And you're like, oh, okay, sure. And then, you know, the, the seven soldiers fight him. And I, yeah, it was, I'll be honest with you. I was pretty checked out by that point. Cause I was already like, okay, you've stretched this as golden agey as I'm willing to go. And I I'm, I'm loving the art. I'm finding some of the picadillas of the story cute, but this whole swerve to, I was the actual villain all along. It was like, well, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't, like, I, you know, it was the robot, but then it was the guy under the glass case. But then it was this Dr. Brett guy who looks just like Mr. Who from a few issues earlier. <laughs> he does. Dr. Space <laughs> is an emphasis. And I was like, oh, it's Mr. Who. Cool. Then I'm like, oh, no, it's not Mr. Who. Yeah. Mm. And then the seven soldiers do what the seven soldiers always do. They fight a giant. I mean, whether it's Nebula, you know, the spaceman or whoever, <laughs> it's, who they, it's who they always fight. Yeah. It, yeah. It had me on page, uh, I think that's 15. It had me thinking, like, what's going on here? You know, when the robot is there and he's standing next to the, the the glass jar with, you know, now it's a full grown man in it instead of just a head like on the cover. But, you know, the hoods are like, hey, we want our money pay up. And he says uh, they're going to smash that fancy glass booth that keeps you alive. And he, yeah. the robot says glass booth. And he turns and smashes it. And I'm thinking, was there like a guy in there and that was keeping him alive? Because I mentioned <laughs> earlier. And I'm like, what? But, you know, then it's like, oh, no, there was just a guy hiding in this robot suit. It was just a dummy in there. And I'm like, OK, this is like one of the dumbest things I've ever read. It was so <laughs> like, unnecessary. What? And then the fact that he still has the gigantic robot arm on him. <laughs> yeah. When he's putting the jewels into the statue, you're like, wait, what? Does he have that robot arm? And maybe that's a more interesting story. And I just wish I, I like getting to see the seven soldiers in action. I wish you would have had, again, the extra eight pages in order to get them fleshed out and to get mm-hmm. them some characterization. The, but the one really redeeming thing is in the end, 
the guy with hearing, the super hearing goes, okay, well, I guess you guys are turning me over now, right? And they're like, well, no, you didn't actually commit a crime. And plus, you know, you're in love with that girl. You guys go be together and happy. And I do like that whole 1940s of it of like, yes. oh, I met somebody. I complimented how she plays piano. Now we're getting married because that's, of course, how it goes, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a courtship in 1940. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, you're a mildly attractive woman and I'm a mildly attractive exactly. man. Exactly. Let's yeah. get married. Oh, okay. Let's get married. It yeah. sounds great. <laughs> I mean, it is crazy. It is crazy to think how art often depicts this time period with proposals where it's like, well, gee, honey, we've been going steady for a month, our senior year. I guess we're going to get married. Right. And it's like, oh my God, like, you know, <laughs> I can't even imagine marrying everybody I dated for at least a month. I mean, oof, you know, yeah. Holy smokes. Crazy. So, all right. Now, well, let's move on to the backup. What did you think of this one? So I'm not, again, a huge fan of what happens in the story. It's just okay. But Mike Harris and Tony DiZaniga here, I thought the art was fantastic in this backup, yeah. you know, as opposed to the previous one. No, the art is great. The art's the saving grace of this one. Uh, in particular, huge shout out to the coloring because mm -hmm. the, the coloring feels very dark and desolate. It matches a Dr. Midnight story. Mm -hmm. And it feels very much like he's, you know, stranded and alone. And then the thing I love about it is unlike the other you know, the other stories, which have all been, I'm a good princess. There's a bad princess, you know, can mm -hmm. you defeat them? This is uh, Hey, you're a doctor. We're suffering from this disease. It turns out it's measles somehow, even though they're like wood creatures. I don't really get that. But anyway, and he just is like, yeah, here, here's the cure for measles. <laughs> you know, and then he saves the day and they send him home. I liked that. I liked that. It was a, a peaceful story. And that it emphasized what I always think is the most interesting part of this character, which is his doctor side. Yeah, for sure. And like, here we go. Here's Hawkman on the very first page of the backup. And it's yep. not even really Hawkman. It's just Dr. Midnight is thinking, you know, like, I don't know what happened to all of us back there at the JSA HQ. I'm alive. Maybe they are, too. Oh, then that actually uh, rhymes there, by the way. But <laughs> we see Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and is that the Atom there at the or bottom? Or Sandman. Or Sandman, maybe. Yeah, it's blue, so it should be purple, but I'm not yeah. sure. But at any rate, that there's your uh, Hawkman appearance there. But I like how it starts out with him in this, you know, shuttlecraft, spaceship, whatever. And he's at the controls, and it ends the exact same way. Except this time he has his feet up and he's reading a book while the rocket ship is flying away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy smokes. But yeah, I really love the artwork in this one. It's oh, it, it was great. Fantastic. It reminds me of Luke McDonald, who drew... Oh, like yeah. He, the Suicide Squad, the Ostrander Suicide Squad, and who drew like the end of the Justice League of America run, the satellite era. Yeah, I know that name from, I think he did some early 1980s uh, Iron Man issues. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's, I'm not sure if he did the pencils and inks or he just did the pencils, but I think it was like after Dave McElhinney. Oh, yeah, Layton. yeah, during the Denny O'Neill run. Yes. I, I think he did some. Yeah, and that's where I first saw him grabbing some uh, back issues of those early Iron Mans. I shouldn't say early Iron Mans, but like I said, early to mid 80s there. That's where well, I saw this Luke point. McDonald. I mean, yeah, at this point, they're considered early, I think. But yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, McDonald drew a lot of the um, the Denny O'Neill run, which I is my favorite Iron Man run of all time. I, I love the Denny oh, O'Neill because cool. it's the Jim Rhodes. Jim Rhodes mm -hmm. takes over the the Iron Man armor and Tony Stark mm -hmm. is an alcoholic and has to dig his way back to sobriety. And yeah, I love that whole era, but, but yeah, definitely the Dr. Midnight piece is my favorite of the backup so far. And, and, you know, these are two, um, 
I, I mean, I'm not going to pull punches. I'd say wildly uneven issues, mm-hmm. and uh, and definitely, you know, you can see the struggle with with crisis and everything, but still fun, and and it's still fun to get to see these characters, especially because I mean, as of right now, you know, Vigilante has appeared on TV, Shining Knight has appeared on TV, Stripes, Stripesy, and Star Spangled Kid are basically the hosts of a show. Mm-hmm. Green Arrow had a show for eight years. Speedy yeah. was on it. So really, of the seven soldiers, I think it's only Crimson Avenger and Wing who haven't been on TV, which is interesting. Yeah, that's wild. That Again, nobody back in the day would have ever thought they'd see that. Uh, but. <laughs> so, yeah, we got to give a shout out to uh, Ranger Gord, you know, Prairie Justice, his yeah, vigilante. Exactly. That's his guy. And he gets some love in this issue. You know, he kind of takes the bad guy down at the end with just some, you know, fisticuffs and whatnot. So. You know, so that's pretty cool uh, to uh, see him. And like I said, I just, you know, you didn't get to see them much at this point in time in no. the comics. So it was cool to see the Seven Soldiers of Victory, even if the story was very uh, uh, bl- blasé. <laughs> well, and they're also the stars of my favorite episode of Justice League Unlimited, the one where they have to fight the Shaggy Man. Do you remember that one? Oh, there's a, there's yeah. There's a parade, and they send the, like, Z-listers, and they have to fight the Shaggy Man, who's basically the Hulk of the DC Universe. That's such a great episode. That is, I, I will never, it's ingrained in my head because I watched that, you know, when it came out mm-hmm. and at that time I was 25, 20 in my late twenties, mid late twenties when that came out and I can still remember, and this might sound kind of sappy, but it's true. I can still remember getting a little, uh, choked up when at the end of that episode, uh, the, basically, you know, like you said, the, the, the Hulk version in the DC universe is beating on these guys pretty bad uh-huh. and, and sir justin you know won't stop trying to fight him because yeah. this guy's you know at least hurting if not killing people and he this guy pounds the crap out of sir justin and like basically knocks him out and the rest of the you know seven soldiers are knocked out as well and this little old lady you know she stands up to him and he's like i gotta save you people from these you know you know super powered you know freaks or whatever he calls them and she looks at him and says, how many of us do you have to kill to save us from, you know, yeah. our, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's wow. It's such good writing. Oh, whoever wrote that. Yeah, that was good stuff. And that because that's because the Shaggy Man in the episode is General Eiling. It's Wade Eiling. Yeah. Who was that? You know, and, and, and for anybody drug, who read yeah. the the post-crisis Captain Adam series, which was brilliant, the Greg Weissman, Carrie Bates, Pat Broderick, Captain Adam series. General Eiling is sort of the, the Amanda Waller of that book, you know, kind of a sometimes good guy, mostly bad guy. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, God, that episode is great. And so I do. I, I always have always had a soft spot in my heart for these characters. And the fact that my daughter and I are loving Stargirl and, and Luke Wilson is a great Pat Dugan is a great stripesy. Mm-hmm. It's it's really nice to see them again. And then I actually always have a soft spot in my heart for Sylvester Pemberton, Sylvester Pemberton, because I was a big Infinity Inc fan. But he doesn't mm-hmm. get killed in the last couple issues of it spoilers <laughs> you know and this reading this stuff though it does do one thing for me i, I don't know if i'm going to start uh, a letter campaign or an email campaign or what but i i really want to you know see how, if there's a way to legitimately lobby dc to reprint things i know at some point yeah. dc had some of those hard covers i can't remember what they were called but they did do seven soldiers of victory there was actually oh, they did yeah a, yeah there was actually a a twitter uh, somebody on Twitter had uh, said to the account, uh, the All Star Squadron account today. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. Uh, about you know showing there. I think there were three volumes of it, and I thought I'm sure they're way out of print and they're an enormous amount of money. I'm thinking to myself, please reprint this stuff. There are people that will buy it. I would be first in line. Yeah. 
I would yeah, love and, to and read it, that. It's funny because the Seven Soldiers of Victory carry such a a legacy because one of them died, and that's a very famous Justice League issue, right? Like who, which mm-hmm. of the Seven Soldiers dies, and and then because of Sandy, the Golden Boy, uh, or sorry, no, it's because it's Wing that dies, right? Yeah, and Wing. Then, um, uh, you know, and and then just you know having Green Arrow, the original Green Arrow, and then. You know, it's it's actually Sylvester Pemberton. It's the Star Spangled Kid who is sent to the future, and you know, as a young, young, he's still a young man, but he's propelled in time. Who founds Infinity Inc. And you know, there's just mm-hmm. a great through line of of yeah. history for all of these characters. And you know, there's been a bunch of different characters to carry the name Vigilante. I don't know if you watched Peacemaker, but the Vigilante no. character in that is the funniest character. <laughs> it, it like it's like it made me laugh as many as much as any TV character in the history of TV has made me laugh. Um, and so you know, he's definitely not Greg Saunders. He's definitely yeah, no. Chase, but it's um. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's nice to see these characters. It's nice to see Roy dipping back into that, you know, the fun of these characters. Again, I wish editorially he had made the choice to just cut the Shanghai in space stories and give these other stories room to breathe. Yeah, I think, you know, and and hindsight, hey, maybe he would probably agree with us that, you know, that would have been, you know, especially with the series winding down. Yeah. You know, it, it would have been a lot nicer, I think, to have more of that content. Uh, than those backups, but you know, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty here. So, I guess I'll just uh, not complain and say, hey, I love what we're seeing here. Uh, it, I'd rather have you know the full twenty four pages of that, but you know, it was it was fun enough. But I think Roy at this point too, he was just paying lip service to Crisis. There's a giant banner across the front, and then on the very first page, Shining Knight mentions the red sky, and yeah, uh, that's it. That's <laughs> we it. never hear another that's word. That's all about. you get. That's all you get, buddy. <laughs> And we're look, we're in the home stretch. There's only nine issues of the series left. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I would love to hear uh, Marv Wolfman's thoughts. You know, sadly, George Perez isn't with us anymore, but I would love to maybe hear uh, uh, Marv Wolfman's thoughts on when they were going to do this, you know, do crisis, you know, and they had to know it was going to majorly change things like what Roy was doing in All Star Squadron. You know, what their thoughts were about that. You know, were they just like, hey, this is what we wrote and DC wants us to do this. So screw everybody else. Not to be like, say it, say it in a mean way, but, yeah. you know, hey, we're getting paid to do a job. We're doing our job. You know, we're not worried about anybody else. Or were they just like, oh, man, you know, I can imagine them like maybe having coffee one day and be like, oh, man, this is totally going to screw Roy over because it, it basically did, you know, what he was trying to do is something. Oh, I would love to hear what Marv's thoughts were at that time and then yeah. now as well. Well, remember the original Wolfman's original intention after Crisis was that every DC book would reboot, that the universe starts over at day one. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they slow rolled it, some did, some didn't, you know, that kind of thing was really frustrating for him, which is one of the arguments they used for New 52. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, which didn't work. But but it's interesting because I do think, you know, they they do try to appease him because and we'll talk about this more later, but, you know, young all stars. You get five new characters, basically. You get Iron Monroe, who's the Superman mm-hmm. character. You get Fury, who's the Wonder Woman character. You get Flying Fox, who's the, I mean, it, only in the fact that they both have capes, like, you know, is the Batman character. You know, and you basically get the Neptune Perkins is the Aquaman character, Tsunami as well. And so you definitely mm-hmm. get a an attempt by Roy to replace the JSA 
with these new characters. And then he keeps all the other all-stars and they're still allowed to have an all-star squadron. So they, they do offer him a, a bone and they do let him keep infinity Inc. But infinity Inc. It's, it's the same thing that happened with Legion. Once they took Superboy away, they, it just floundered. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, like, you know, you and I might've talked, you know, there, there are things that, you know, happened after a crisis that some people like and enjoy, but it's just, you know, hindsight, like we said, maybe, certain things could have been done a little differently and handled a little differently. And, you know, I just feel like, gosh, just like let at that point, let Roy just have earth Two, yeah. and those characters. And then if you want to blow up everything else, that's fine. There really wasn't much going on or, you know, blow up all those other worlds and then have some of those characters go to one and two and then just have those two earths. I just, I don't think that would have been too much. Yeah. You just, you just make this a pre-crisis series, just make it pre-crisis tales of earth Two, mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, but it didn't happen that way. So Roy's got to play out the way it's got to play out. And and he's definitely going to go out on his own terms. So this is a you know a couple yeah. fun examples of it. I, I Again, they're fun issues. They're they're not by any stretch perfect. And, and I would say that 56 is not even good. <laughs> I mean, it's well drawn. It's not well written. But it but they're definitely worth reading to sort mm-hmm. of capture the spirit of the time. And also, honestly, in two issues, you get to see like 20 characters that you yes. ne- just haven't seen before. You know, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah, great, great job getting a, a lot of characters that were, you know, B, C, and D listers out there and get them some screen time at least. So, yeah. yeah, kudos for that. But all right, well, before we wrap up, I want to try to start uh, just mentioning a couple people that are, you know, big fans of the show with Twitter likes and retweets and all that kind of stuff and interactions with the show. I feel like I should have been doing this all along and I was really lapsing with it. I was always trying to cover, you know, any DMs or emails and stuff like that, but. There are a ton of people that are always giving the show a lot of love and uh, telling us that we do a great job. So I just wanted to take like a minute at the end of every show just to shout out a few names of people that are, you know, the, you know, always there and always uh, giving shout outs to the show. So uh, first up is uh, DC Multiverse Historian and then John Joshua, the JLI podcast. Hey, we know that guy. Uh, Heroes United, Ward Hill Terry. Uh, Max from the Weird Warriors podcast. Thanks, Max, for always uh, being up uh, with the yeah, likes and the retweets. He's yeah, awesome. Good. He does that for for a lot of shows. I appreciate that. Yeah, he's like a, a super. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the word is. Like a, he's like a, a he's a promoter. Yeah, he, like he yeah. he really shines a spotlight in everybody's is um, podcast. I, it's really appreciated. It's it's really cool. Yeah, love love him and Rich and what they do. Love their show. And then Pedro Ag- Angosto probably butchering your last name there sorry pedro and keith g baker so those are people that are always liking and retweeting and the first people to always you know do that stuff and reach out to the show and everything so i wanted to start with that list and i'll just shout out a few names at the end of every episode just to say thank you yeah it's awesome that people like the show and that they're supporting the show and and you know we got some good responses uh we had some questions from the last episode and people yes. chimed in to answer which was really helpful and uh, it's, it, that's always great. It's always nice to know, you know, if we make a mistake that people, or, or if we have a question, people are there to help. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, some people get mad about that kind of stuff. I'm definitely not one of them. And no, again, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I love it when people are like, Oh no, this is really what happened. Or this is like, Hey, if anybody wants to chime in about some more ultra humanite post <laughs> this issue, <laughs> <laughs> please chime in. Cause I like that character. The first time I ever saw that character was on the television show as well. Like you were mentioning earlier. Uh, Justice League there. That was the first time I ever saw him. <laughs> well, and he's a great character. I mean, how many characters can be 40s movie stars and white apes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this uh, show. And 
We'll be back in two weeks time again with another couple issues. But yeah, like we said, winding things down and hopefully have a little bit of a surprise for the very last uh, episode, which is going to have, you know, maybe multiple guests and, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe some, uh, some uh, fun stuff there. So looking forward to that one. So uh, we're going to be getting out of here right now. And again, thanks for uh, joining me, Sean, one more time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is uh, always fun. All right. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Take care. Superman, you coward. All your men are down and you won't even show your face. He cannot hear even your bellowing, monster. As we speak, Superman rescues an entire star system a universe away. Do your worst. I'll not let you harm another. I do what I do in service to my country. Once, at the word of my Lord King Arthur, I was ordered to lay waste to an entire village. I knew my king's heart could not be so unjust, so I spared them all. Then you're a lousy soldier. <laughs> there it is, the creeping moral decay of the past thousand years. <sighs> Arthur thanked me, Oath. Had I been wrong, I would have handed over my sword and left the court in shame. Save yourself a hospital stay and stand down. That magic armor won't help you. Have at thee! You're a relic. In this world, power is the only thing that matters. You and those other no-name heroes, you're just people. In the great scheme of things, nothing you do has the least bit of significance. I'll waste you and a billion like you before I let any power rival America's. It's my duty. You don't know what the word means. You can't win. I'll die as befits a knight, defending the weak. Why don't you give up? Why don't you? Superman and your Justice League are a threat to a safe and stable world. Drop the act. You think killing Superman would make the world safe? Or killing this boy? Or us? Tell me, how many of us do you have to kill to keep us safe? They're the ones I'm after, not you. I'm not the menace. Metahumans are. Superpowered beings. You're the only one around here with superpowers. I've become what I hate, I'll give you that. But in the long run, you'll see I was right. You'll see you need the likes of me to protect you from them. Justin. And 21st Century Doc's gonna have you back on your feet by movie night. Hold. I have yet to thank you. No need to thank me, son. You just get better. 
world still needs protecting, you know. Come on, let's play Justice League. I'm Shiny Knight. No, I am. You're the stupid monster. Ha! Have at thee! Have at thee! Fine, I don't care. I'm Vigilante. He's way cooler. Pew, pew, pew. 